I guess it's fitting that the word uh, humility will be part of the sermon today because I humbly will confess to you that I forgot to ask anybody to read. And I didn't realize it until I was sitting over there worshiping. <laughs> I was passing my exit, as uh, Carla would have said, when I realized there was going to be a sunset <laughs> that the Lord had for me. I'm going to read for us. No. Then we're going to jump into it. I'm going to read through 11, and uh, we'll stop there for today. But Philippians chapter 2, if you've got your Bibles, open them up. Paul picks up right where he left off, or right where we left off last week, and he says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, see, this is why I shouldn't read, because I'd just be wanting to stop on all of the, you know what I'm saying? Like, that, that's where I mess it up. So I'm just, I'm just going to ask on each of the ifs, and then I promise to read the rest through. Is that good? Is that a good compromise? If there's any encouragement in Christ, anybody ever been encouraged by Christ? You ever been encouraged by the Lord? You ever been encouraged by one of his servants? You know what I'm saying? Like when I talked about that at the beginning, man, we were supposed to be surrounded by like-minded people so that we could be encouraged. You know, if there's been anybody who's encouraged with Christ. So, so if you answered yes to that, then, then he's talking to you. If any consolation of love, any of you ever felt loved? You ever felt loved by the Lord? You ever had that moment where, you know, you, you just realize, man, he really does like love me. You ever felt loved by other believers and, and felt the love of God from that? If you answered yes, he's talking to you. If any fellowship with the spirit. You know, you, you can have moments where God shows you a sunrise, but you wouldn't know it was from the Lord if you didn't have fellowship with the spirit. That makes sense. You think about that? I think there's a lot of moments in our life where like. If we weren't in tune with the spirit, we wouldn't realize they even came from him. Good or bad. You know what I'm saying? Like I told Crystal when, when we finally made it to church after, obviously, if I forgot to ask somebody to read, it just tells you it was a rough morning. Right? Poor Caroline come in for, for, for our normal uh, chats. And I just, before she even spoke a word, I was waving a hand and just pointing. Get out of my office. Get away from me. I ain't got time. You know what I'm saying? Like, like that's how it was this morning. So I told Chris a little bit later, I said, I think the Lord gave me a blessing because I think I drove through our house. And we didn't mess up the house. She said, huh? I said, yeah, because if you were to get out the truck, what I'm big on this long hair thing she got going. We're like, how many of y'all got women with long hair? This this is tangent. I'm just going to get off on it. Right. Are their hairs not everywhere? I mean, everywhere. You know what I'm saying? Like everywhere. You know what I'm saying? I was going to go into an illustration this morning, but I don't want to get in too much trouble because, you know, who knows what comes as we go through this thing. So I'm not going to go there. But one of her hairs wouldn't have fit between my truck and the house. I realized halfway down the driveway that we had forgot something. The boys cranked the truck but didn't cut the defrost on so you couldn't see out none of the windows. So I threw it in reverse and said, I know the road by heart. Wow! Somehow I didn't run over my house. I really don't know how. So you guys don't know how close it was. And in anger, I got, got out, I got this stuff. I, this is confession time too, so I, you know, I can confess just like the rest of you. Right? So so in all that, I got all my stuff, I got through it. It wasn't until I made it to my office upstairs in the middle of prayer that I realized that was a Lord moment. You know what I'm saying? Like that was a moment where he, he knew I couldn't handle no more, so he didn't let me drive through my house. <laughs> Fellowship with the Spirit. If I hadn't been with the Spirit, if I hadn't finally met back up with the Spirit, maybe that's how I should say it, I might not have gotten the lesson. If you've been in fellowship with the Spirit, he's talking to you. If any affection and mercy, 
If you felt that, he's talking to you. Then he goes into a little personal part right here. He says, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. What he's saying is, man, if you want to make your church founder happy, if you want to make me as your pastor happy, be unified. Be one. Stop all this bickering. Stop all this arguing. Stop all this, this splitting up stuff, man. Be unified in the same love and the same spirit. That spirit and that purpose being right here in the word of God. I, told, oh, I wasn't supposed to stop on verse two. I'm sorry. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look. Look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Adopt the same attitude that Christ had. Who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited when talking about when he came to earth. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant. He didn't just become a human. He became a servant. Taking on the likeness of humanity. And then he had come as man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient, even to the point of death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name, a name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. I finally told the Lord yesterday while I was I kept reading over the thing, reading over the thing. I'm like, what's the what's the deep theological thing here, Lord? And, and there there isn't one. I mean, there really isn't. I'm just I'm just being. Well, you, these verses preach themselves. I mean, they really do. Like, you don't need anything else to go on it, but it's drawing our attention to some stuff that maybe we need to evaluate in our lives. And and he starts with that. He started that very first word where, where it says, "If then," uh, some of your translations probably got the word "therefore." And when he says "therefore," he's drawing back to what Paul had said. Last week in chapter one at the very end, uh, 27 through 30, I'm going to look back over. He said, just one thing. As citizens of heaven, I want you to live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. And what he's saying is if we're calling it if then, if you're a citizen of heaven, then you ought to be living a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. If you're not a member of the kingdom, then you ain't got to live this way. But if you're a member of the kingdom, this is the way I expect you to live. Then whether I come and see you or whether I'm absent. So like you don't need a guardian to be around you watching you all the time. How many of y'all act different when you get around Christian folks? You don't raise your hand. You're a liar and you will go to hell. It says it in scripture. You know what I'm saying? Right? Huh? <laughs> How many of you are the same old heathen when you're around Christian? <laughs> oh, there we go. All right. We don't want to be two-faced. We want to be cold or lukewarm. <laughs> This is what he's saying, though. He's saying, like, whether I'm around you or whether I'm absent, like whether I'm sitting right there looking at you or whether you're by yourselves, I want to make sure you're acting like 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 citizens of heaven. And the way you're going to do that is is things we're going to look at today. Then he goes and goes, I want you to stand firm in one spirit, that unity, man, that one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel. Remember, Paul had just talked about some people who were were taking advantage of. Of the fact that he's in prison, so they're out there preaching the gospel, trying to up their numbers. And he's saying that ain't what it's about. What it's about is getting the right gospel out there. We're all on one team. We're all doing one thing. The gospel, the faith, contending together for it. Not being afraid of your opponents. Not being afraid of destruction that's all around it. But salvation from the Lord. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Paul's letting him go. Guys, I'm still in prison and that's okay. I'm all right with it. Like, even though he didn't deliver me this time, remember, the Philippians are probably worried. They're like, Paul, the last time you were here, 
when you got put in jail, like the Lord calls the earth to shake and doors to open and chains to fall off. Like, should we be worried that that's not happening to you this time? You know what I'm saying? Like, that's a scary thing. Anybody ever, ever prayed and saw a miracle? You ain't got to go into no detail, but, but you've been there, right? You ever prayed again and the miracle didn't happen? I, I, I've been there. I, I've, I've prayed and a lady got up off of her deathbed. Literally, they were cutting off the machine and, and said, hey, this is it. She ain't going to make it. And boom, you know, everybody not, we ain't got no answer. Like, you know, what's going on? But but I've also been there where I said what I thought was the same faith and same prayer. And a couple weeks later, we get a, an opposite report. What Paul's making sure they know here, he's like Philippians, people of Philippi, people of the church. Don't be mistaken into thinking like because it's different this time. He's not the same God. He's not doing something through it. Right. And that, that's an easy thing to sometimes get, get messed up in. And, and I think as he writes this, he's saying just because the walls ain't shaking and chains ain't falling off. Don't you think God ain't got a purpose for what I'm going through right now? Don't you think the great his his plan, not my plan, his plan ain't going to get accomplished through this. Right. Th- then he says, verse 30. Since you're engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had. And now here that I have some of you guys are going to go through the same stuff I'm going through is what Paul says. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know, I, I love when we do testimonies in, in, in the end of the year, which we, we, we didn't line up to do this year, but we still can. You know, but but I love it because what you see happening sometime is you'll see other people be like, hey, I, I'm going through that same thing they're going through. And what encouragement is there when you hear that somebody's going through the same stuff you're going through that they came out on the other end? All right. It's why your testimony is so vital. It's why why it's so important. It's why why, why, why the the early uh, church uh, founders, they wrote and they said, be ready to give a reason why you are the way you are. Be be ready to tell people about it. Don't don't let that be something you're ashamed of and and shot. Use it. Don't use it to glorify you. Use it to glorify the Lord. Use it to express his power. And as he gets it in this and he says this, therefore, Paul's saying, I'm drawing back. And as I told you guys how to stand strong with the external conflicts that are coming, things outside. Now he's going to shift as he, as he gets into this word, therefore, and what we call chapter two. And he says, now I'm going to tell you how to act against internal conflict when it comes. When the struggle comes where where you think you're more important than her and she thinks you're more important than you. You know what I'm saying? Like, well, like when unity has an option to be broken up. He says this. This is the internal conflict that's going to come in the body of Christ. I mean, we've seen it. I don't know how many of Paul's letters. He says, this is the way you're going to you're going to combat it before you even have to worry about. It. And, and, and I and I, I shared the title earlier. You know, these two words, I think, hinge on everything in the whole chapter. One, because he says, if like a billion times in the in, the, in these little short verses. Right. So, so you so you got like a two letter word that's so powerful, because when you think of the word, if you think of conditional. Right. What what, what your parents tell you when you're little, if you behave, yet you had, you had parents that did two ways. If you behave, I get you a piece of candy. It's conditional. You behave, you get a reward. Sometimes a parent will go the opposite. If you don't behave, I'm going to bust your tail. You know what I'm saying? It's conditional. If you didn't behave, you're getting a beating. Right? So, so, so you, you got a conditional thing there. And what Paul is writing, and he says, this is a conditional thing. This big fat if. Four times in one verse, he's going to use this word if. We need to make sure we understand, and I'm, I'm going to use another word that the, the Greek word translates into as well here in a minute. But if is a conditional word, it leaves room for doubt. So as he's writing this whole church, and, the whole, and remember, he's writing to believers. He wants to make sure they understand real quickly, like, 
I understand all of you might not have experienced all this stuff I'm talking about. It's an if. It's conditional. It's a, it's room for doubt. It's maybe you hadn't got it. If is a conditional word that gives a choice. You got to choose, right? If this, then that. So it calls into question, really what if does, it calls into question everything that comes after it. So, so that's why the, the, the setup is huge. So go back to verse 1. Get past that therefore. And then four times he says if. He says if. You are someone who lives your life with Christ Jesus in mind. If you're this person, if you go through life and wonder like it, is, is this what Jesus want me to do? And is this, is this kingdom minded kind of stuff? Is this is this what the word says? If you rely on God for your comfort, and your hope in this life. Not relying on the things of this world to make you happy, not relying on the pleasures of, of this world, not relying on a drink or a drug or a pleasure or, 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 or items you can buy. He says, if you rely on God for comfort and hope in this life. If you enjoy and are blessed by the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. And, and, and I throw that extra word in there because I think we would all agree like it's blessed to know the presence of the Holy Spirit is inside of us. But I put that word enjoy because if you, you got to enjoy it. You know what I'm saying? And there'll be stages, understand me, there'll be stages in your life where you don't feel the enjoyment, but you know because of the outcome later, it was an enjoyable experience. Right? Like because daddy popped me I know he loved me and wanted to get me straight, right? The same way with the Holy Spirit. Like, because he sends me through some stuff sometimes that ain't all that great, and I got to learn and grow from it, because I'm still in prison, because he didn't heal that second one, you know, because he didn't follow through, I still am blessed by the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. If your character is motivated by God and in his way of life. So I, I just want you to look, just, just, just take like 30 seconds and look at verse 1. Because some of you would have the right to leave right after this. I'm dead serious. Like, yeah, I'm not going to sugarcoat what Paul is saying. Paul's saying this is a conditional statement. If these things are true for you, then the rest of this passage is for you. But the flip side is what? If these things aren't true for you, then you're about to waste 45 minutes of your life because these things don't apply to you. Like Paul never once tries to force anything on anyone. He, he's so honest. He, he's getting like Jesus with his honesty here on stuff. You know what, what did Jesus tell his disciples, man? You looking for comfort, man? I'm not even gonna have a place to lay my head tonight. What do you think is gonna happen to you? Like, if, if the world wants to kill me, what do you think they're gonna do to you? Right? Like, like Jesus was never, he never tried to sugarcoat stuff. He was just honest. Paul's the same way. He says, if these things are true for you, that, that what I'm about to talk about is for you. But if you're an unbeliever, if, if, if you don't bear the, the weight of this passage, if you, if you don't, if you haven't experienced these things yet, then I'm not necessarily going to tell you you're commanded to do this because it's not true. Because if you're not a believer in Christ, how can we expect these things of this passage to apply to you? Your whole motive would be wrong. Your whole your whole reasoning would be wrong. Anybody know the name Charles Templeton? I'll be honest. This has got to be for somebody in here because the Lord wouldn't let me leave the illustration, but he wouldn't let me leave where I even put it. I didn't like it here, to be honest. Does that make sense? I, I don't know. Sometimes if you guys have ever tried to order and structure something, and like you, you place it right there and you're like, I don't like it there. So you move it. I moved this illustration 75 times. Right. Like like I got I got an hour on just trying to move this illustration to a different spot. But the Lord wouldn't let it happen. So anyway, this is how you go get the illustration. And this is where it's going to stay. So how many people heard of Charles Templeton? One. One person. All right. If my my brothers and sisters are watching online at Youth for Christ, they would know this name. He's a, he's a big guy in youth, well, was 
Sorry, let me get it right. Was a big guy in Youth for Christ. Maybe you guys have heard of his partner. Anybody heard of Billy Graham? Oh. Right? Charles Templeton, at one stage in his walk with Christ, after starting, after, after keeping Youth for Christ going, that kind of thing going, he, here's a title he received. The most gifted preacher of his time. But yet none of you guys ever heard of him. Huh. Isn't that kind of weird? Maybe it's because five years after getting the title, the most gifted preacher of his time, five years later, he renounces his faith. Completely. 100% gone. Out of it. Like, not, not for you through Christ anymore. Billy Graham's now got that. That's his partner, you know, who, who had that going. And, and just, just out. Anybody ever heard of Lee Strobel? Case for Faith, Case for Christ, Case for Creator. I'm sure he's got another book too that I didn't look at, right? Lee Strobel writes this thing, case for uh, case for faith, when he's writing his first one, and, and he's so intrigued by this guy who, who's named Charles Templeton, who is an, a believer, best preacher of his time, and then completely gone. So 50 years after this guy renounces his faith, this guy's like 80 now, still in his right mind, not like any kind of weird cognitive state or anything like that. He says, I'm gonna write this book. I'm gonna go to this guy's house and I'm interviewing. He tracks him down, he finds him, he begins to interview him, and he asks him about Jesus. Charles Simpson goes on, Jesus is the greatest, most influential figure in the history of the world. That, I mean, every, every, every right thing we see is in him. Every wrong thing is not. I mean, he goes on and on and on, and he makes this quote at the, well, I would say the end of the interview, but an interview cut short. He begins to cry, he begins for tears to well up in his eyes, and he says, and I miss him. 50 years after renouncing his faith, his, his end quote that stops an interview because he can't go on anymore. I mean, he, just, he just breaks down. It says, and I miss him. You read other quotes about Jesus and, and, and other people and, and things they say about it. Here's what I've determined as, as we're getting ready to look at Jesus as an example on how we should follow these things and, and keep this unity and stuff going. People, unbelievers don't have a problem with Jesus. They have a problem with people. You understand that? The world outside that doesn't believe, that most of them, I'm not going to say none of them, but most of them, the large majority of them, they don't have a problem with Jesus. They have a problem with us. Because we represent him poorly most of the time. Is that, a, that an honest way of putting it? They, they don't understand how if all this is true, how we can do what we do. Right? They don't understand if all this is true, how in the world we can't be better and do better, perform better, and stop some of the stuff that goes on in the world. They don't have a problem with Jesus. they got a problem with us. they got a problem with people. So if we don't want the world to have a problem with people, verses 2 through 11, because here's the, the hefty portion. I think, I think verse 1 is kind of real and honest. Like there's, You don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand it. If you've experienced this stuff, section 2, then. Verse 2, it starts with, then, based on all the conditional statements, the ifs, those four items, if those things are true, then this must be true for you as well. What's the first thing he says? Fulfill my joy. He kind of pauses for just a, just a little brief moment as the writer, as the founder of the church. And he says, if you guys could fulfill this personal request for me, if you guys want to make me happy, my joy is just for you guys to be unified. My joy is just for you guys to be like Christ. To walk out your faith, to, to be real in what you believe. My, my joy 
is that people don't get excited because there's a business meeting happening and, there's, and they get excited. There might be an argument about to take place, but they come to see the love of Christ and how people work out their differences in the middle of something. You, you want to make me happy? It's when we don't argue over stupid color of, of chairs and floors and walls and anything else, but we argue over how to reach the loss because that's more important than the color of stuff on the inside. Right? We, we, we argue and we debate in, in a clean way. Get me right, right, right? We argue and debate on how to spend this money because we want to reach more people with it. We're not arguing over how we're going to get something or who we're going to get it for. Like we're arguing because we want to bless other people with the love of Christ. Right? So really it's not an argument. You're fighting for the outsiders what's taking place. What would happen if the church on the inside would begin to fight for those on the, on the outside? I bet a lot of them would want to come inside. Huh? I bet a lot of them would want what we got. You know, I, I hear people all the time talk about, man, the only reason some people come to these events and this stuff and, and all the stuff that's going on is because there's free stuff there. Well, <laughs> I'm not going to argue with you about it. It may very well be true. But it, but if you can win somebody for $5 for the Lord, wouldn't it be worth it? Am I right? I mean, I'm, I'm not saying like they came for the right reason, but I'm saying we can get them for the right reason. Huh? And, and that's sometimes where they're at. What Paul's saying here, get real, real. He said, I want you guys to be like-minded. I want you to have the same love. I want you to have one accord and one mind. Internal unity among the church. Unity is the goal. It kind of goes back to what he talked about in, in Ephesians and what he's going to talk about in the number. Do you realize unity of the church is talked about more in the New Testament than heaven or hell? Count it out. Check it out. The unity of the church is addressed and talked about more than heaven or hell in the New Testament. I think more than heaven and hell put together, but I can't swear to you on that one yet. Think about that. That tells us two things. That tells us, one, it is very, 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 very important. And two, it tells us, evidently, there's a problem. Right? My mom ain't ever yelled at me for nothing I didn't have a problem with. She yelled at me with stuff I had a problem with. Every morning before I got out for school, before I went out for the bus, I had a speech. Now, you know you're supposed to sit in class and be quiet. I think she knew I liked to talk. Because then she'd repeat it and she'd be like, you know, when the teacher's talking, you don't talk. You know, you know, when you give an instruction and you're supposed to be doing something, you don't talk. And she'd repeat that. You don't talk. I don't know how many times. So that told me two things. One, it is important that I don't talk unless it's a time to talk. And two, evidently, I had a problem with talking. Big surprise. Right. <laughs> So Paul's doing the same thing here and, 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 and throughout all the letters and, and even the other letters that are written by some of the other people. Even sections of the gospel, the, 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 what we call the gospels, the four, four in the beginning, right? Even those themselves discuss what? The unity of the believers. Why? Because they had a problem. And I don't understand it. If we're supposed to be unified in Christ, why is there such a problem with the division? Because it breaks our nature. It breaks our nature. You don't have to teach a kid to be selfish, do you? Send a kid and he never had a toy into a room full of toys and watch what happens. Unless mom and daddy's trained him right, they're not going to go share that toy with nobody else. They're going to go snatch up their toy and have fun with it. Mine. You know what I'm saying? Mine, 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 mine. The movie got it right. right? So, so you don't have to teach this stuff. It, it, it's natural to be selfish. So Paul says, one more time, you've already answered it, hopefully. Have you ever received any of the benefits from being a Christian? Have you received encouragement? Have you received love? Have you experienced fellowship and compassion since becoming a believer? 
He's expecting them to say yes. And here's, here's the, here's the other translation I want to make sure we get, but I want to make sure we got the if first, because that, for us, that probably relates a little more. He's expecting them to say yes. And the Greek word for if here is also the same word for since. So now you can look back at it. And some of your translations may even have sense written in it. I don't know what translations a lot of you got. But you can look back and say, he's not only saying if you've experienced, he's saying since you've experienced this. Since you've been loved. Since you've experienced encouragement. Since you've experienced fellowship. Since you've experienced compassion. What's your response? So now it changes from, from, from being a condition that you've got to choose about to, to if it's true, then you no longer have a choice because he owns you. Right? In a good way. So our response, verse two, look at verse two. Make my joy complete. We just talked about it. He, he wants to, he wants that unity. Having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. You know why you, here, here's another reason why unity is so important. Because it not only gives encouragement to the Christians, it gives encouragement to the non-Christians. Does that make sense? I mean, think about it. how poor of an example do we set when we can't be unified as a church to the world outside that's watching? But then at the same time, how awesome of an example do we set when we can come out after a disagreement and still be loving on one another? Still be still be unified together. Still, still be wanting to encourage one another. Still go to the restaurant and have lunch together. Right? You sit down and you fellowship with those that, that you're in mind with. Here's the three areas you said. I want you guys to be like-minded. I want you united in your thinking. You, you know, another word we we use for, for this, we call it the canon of Scripture. Have you heard that? Uh, it's not a word we use a lot anymore, but that's what you, you know. What the, it's kind of cool. The Greek word for canon, it's, it's a rod or a carpentry tool that keeps a straight edge or a standard. I can't think of anything more perfect now than to call it the canon of Scripture. Because is this not supposed to be our rod, our measuring stick, our standard for the way we set our lives? What, what it's saying is, Cliff, you don't get to use your own ruler. You're using the same ruler I use. And if you see my line get a little jagged, you just pass the ruler back to me. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, like this is the standard. This is it. It's not what you want. It's not what you want. It's not what you want. It's what he wants. It's what he calls the standard. And he says, I want you guys to be like-minded, united in your thinking about things. Same way he says this. He says, I want the same love. I want you guys united in heart. I want you guys having the same desire. I want you caring about the same stuff. I want you loving the same stuff. Can we relate with what he's saying? Like, are we a church that is like-minded in our thinking, that has the same desires, the same cares, the same loves, and then that third thing, the same spirit, what he's saying is the same purpose. If you've got all that unification going together, if you've got the standard, the same measuring stick, if you're united in heart and desires, then I want you guys united in action. I want you doing things together. I want you building and expanding the kingdom together. Right? I want you reaching out to the lost together. Because here's number three, verse three. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Right after he gets them all excited, and they should be, what he's saying here is the adversity of unity is pride. The thing that's going to break you up the most is pride. The thing that's going to interrupt this good thing that God's got going is pride. Because this world tells you look out for self. I read some of them stupid social media things sometimes that some of you even in this room are foolish enough to post. And, and I read it and I read some of the advice and, and I hear them all the time. Oh, baby, you got to look out for you. Look out for number one, baby. You number one. Don't let bull crap. You know what I'm saying? Like that, that's crap. You are not number one. The Lord is number one. You know what I'm saying? 
Like the advice you should be given is, is what does the Lord want to do with you through this situation? What is he trying to accomplish through this? Now, I know that seems like an old churchy answer, but if this is supposed to be the standard by which we measure our life, we can't tell nobody go make what makes you happy. We are evil. What does scripture say? The, the heart is nasty. The heart is wicked. The heart is destructive. So how can you tell somebody follow your heart? I want to tell them the opposite. Go run away from what your heart says. Unless Jesus doesn't choke the life out of your heart, you know that heart of stone that he talks about in Ezekiel, unless he doesn't completely replace that thing, and it's no longer your heart, but his heart of life inside of you. Then you can follow your heart. But you're only, as Paul says, you're only following your heart because my heart is now following the Lord. Right? Man, we get so mixed up on the selfish thing. That's what Paul knew. That's why in the middle of being excited about good stuff, it's almost like a weird transition when you read it, man. Right? Because he's like, yeah, unified, yeah, spirit, yeah, love. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. He's going through this thing and he's like, man, you know what's going to interrupt this the most? You guys are going to let pride and selfish ambition and concise, it get in the way. It's going to mess things up. Right? You, what do we call it? Change, change of nature, change of mind? And that we said in Ephesians? If we hadn't experienced that change, there's a problem. What, what happens with change? We no longer think this way of the world. We, we change the way we think because we have Christ's attitude now. We do it differently. We, we need Christ's outlook on life. We need to emulate how Christ viewed himself and how he viewed others. You know, I didn't realize it until, until a few months back. But, but you remember the WWJD things? I laugh at how popular it got in the, in the, in the, in the secular world. But everybody would look at the things and it would make you pause and think a little bit, wouldn't it? We ought to change it, though. Not WWJD, what would Jesus do? It's WWJT. What would Jesus think? And what hit me is this, especially as I'm reading this in Philippians, because Jesus did what Jesus thought. He didn't have to manipulate actions to, to look good to the world. He thought this. He was that serious and that in love with the world that he, that he went through what 6 through 11 talks about him going through. You know what I'm saying? Like he thought it, so he did it. So maybe one, and, and we've talked about this a, a couple weeks ago in the beginning of this series. It talks about joy, I think it was 19 or 20 times, and it talks about the mind 16 times in this letter. So evidently, what you think about is vital and important. Right? So what Paul is saying is, what are you thinking about? And if you're thinking about the right thing, then you'll start doing the right thing. Right? But if you're thinking about the wrong thing, well, you're in trouble. Right? Then. If, then, then's the results, the results of our spiritual condition in God. If these previous statements apply to you, then what I'm about to say should describe stuff. Listen, to it. there's only two things he really tells us. He sums, I can sum up all this stuff in just two things. And the very first one is this. Then we should be humble. We should be some humble people. When the world looks at the church, do they describe the people of the church, the body of Christ, as being humble? Or do they look at us in a prideful way? Puffed up. Look at what we did. Look at what we've accomplished. Very, very large local church. Multiple campuses. Doing awesome for the kingdom as it appears. In a meeting between two believers, one of them says, look at what this guy has built. And they blew it up. They, they, they popped the balloon right there, right? Because if it's about what this guy has built, then it's no longer about what the Lord is building. Do you understand the difference? I, I, I picked on a girl yesterday at the wedding. She goes, are, are you going to do the, the blessing? I said, no, the Lord is going to bless the food. <laughs> I'm just going to ask him to. <laughs> right. But we need to keep that in mind. You know, that sounds 
kind of funny and weird and, and, and really minor, but, but we need to keep that in mind. We need to remember in our mind that this is the Lord's stuff. This is his idea. This is his standard. And I need to shape myself to fit it. So if we're someone who lives our life for Jesus, with Jesus Christ in mind, if we rely on God for comfort, no, if we enjoy and are blessed by the presence of the Holy Spirit, if our character is motivated by God in his way, then we will be people who are humble. Selfishness is not the quality that characterizes God's people. And the minute we get selfish, we ruin that example. I, I thought of this for pride. I want to make sure I get it right because you can take this a lot of different ways. The def- an easy definition for pride, because when we said the, the enemy to this unity thing, the enemy of, of this, this thing is, is pride, right? So pride is when you measure people's worth against your best feature. Now, not in a humble way of saying so-and-so is better than me, but in a prideful way of, oh, I'm smarter than them. So if, you, if you're an intelligent person, your best feature is your brain, obviously not mine, right? Then therefore you judge people by their intelligence. If they're stupid, you think less of them. They're smarter, you think higher of them. If you're a person who's got a good physique, you see somebody who's slim, trim, and in shape, you think highly of them, right? That's your main thing. If they're not, you think lower of them. If you're a person with financial status that's really good and successful, you see somebody who's rich, you think highly of them. See somebody who's poor, you think lowly of them. Pride is when we measure people's worth against our best feature. Why? Because it feels good to measure somebody against our best feature, doesn't it? Isn't that what we do, though? Huh? We, we use our best features and compare that to other people. What does Christ tell us to do? The opposite? Maybe even because some of you aren't related yet. Maybe the worst kind of pride then is moral pride. Huh? We joke all the time about the holier than thou section. What if that was a real thing? Right? What if that was a real thing? You know, y'all don't look at them in judgmental ways because then you're being holier than thou, right? Like, now think about it. The worst kind of pride is moral pride, right? We, we pride ourselves on our own goodness. Well, I've served more than anybody else in the church. I can preach better than him. I can pray better than her. Don't we? Don't be quiet if, if it ain't hurting, right? We do these things. We, we, we judge other people off of how good we are. Humility is seeing our own and other people's worth with a, with a God's eye view and treating them that way. Let me say that again so I get it right. Humility is seeing our own and other people's worth. So you got to look in the mirror and see your own and other people's worth. With a God's eye view and treating them accordingly. God's ultimate goal for your life on this earth is not comfort. I'm serious. I mean, we need to make sure we get it. That's not his ultimate goal. His ultimate goal is character development. Right? Because what's he doing? He's building a kingdom. This ain't the kingdom in case you thought it was. Right? This is not the end game. How sad would it be if this was the end game? Right? He's building a kingdom. Therefore, he's developing our character so that we develop a kingdom mentality. So that the kingdom is the right way. He wants you to grow up spiritually, to be more and more like Christ, becoming like Christ. That doesn't mean losing your personality. It doesn't mean losing your uniqueness. God created you unique, and that's good. That's awesome. That's positive, right? He doesn't want to destroy that. But Christ's likeness is all about transforming your, your character and not your personality. And we need to understand the difference there. God's changing our character, right? Another definition for humility, maybe before we jump into to, to servanthood, is this. It's a willingness to give up. I didn't get this. I had, to, I had to steal it. Willingness to give up my will for another's good to accomplish what is best. I like it, though. That's why I stole it. Wish I knew who I stole it from so I'd give him some credit, right? 
Humility. Willingness to give up my will for another's good to accomplish what is best. So true. Are you, let me switch it as a question. Are you willing to give up your will for another's good to accomplish what's best? You realize what, what that, what's that really saying? I, I, I'm giving up my will because I love somebody else so that I can accomplish who I love most. You see, you see how God's greatest commandments are summed up right there in that definition? Because the best is his. And the number one definition is what? To love him. But right after that, what are we commanded over and over? And over? I think we get commanded more. I hadn't studied this one. I hadn't wrote it down. So don't write this down as a permanent note. Maybe as a personal study. I think we're commanded more to love other people repeatedly as far. Because we don't have a problem loving God once we get him. We got a problem loving other people. Right? Once you've got the spirit, man, it ain't nothing to love the Lord. Right? Who doesn't love the Lord? If I was asking, who loves the Lord? If your hand ain't up, you're wasting your time, get out. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> or, or maybe you want to love the Lord. In that case, you can say. Right? <laughs> but how many of you struggle loving somebody? Ah. Uh, right? So we're commanded. We're commanded. I, w- I want you to give up your desires, yourself, your pride. You be a number one so that somebody else can be loved so that you can accomplish what the Lord deems is best. Humility. Humility. Second thing he says, I told you there's only real two big, two big points. All right. First one's humility. What's the second one? Second one is then we should serve others. Be humble. Serve others. That's all Paul is saying in these 11 verses. He's just giving us a real good example here at the end of it, right? He said, if you want to know how to do this stuff that I'm telling you to do, follow this example. Look at verse 5. Adopt the same attitude, the same mindedness is the word, as that of Christ Jesus. He said, I want you to think like Jesus thinks. And if you think like Jesus thinks, you'll do what Jesus does. WWJT, right? Secondary says, if you're someone who lives, go back to the beginning. If you're someone who lives your life with Christ in mind, if you're somebody who relies on God for comfort and hope, if you're somebody who enjoys the blessed presence of the Holy Spirit, if your character is motivated by God and his way of life, then you will be people who serve. Now, before we even go into serving, go ahead and ask yourself with those two things. Do these two words describe me? When you look in the mirror, do you see a humble person who's willing to serve? Better yet, he's talking about getting ready to reach the outside. So let's just go ahead and and ask the harder question. When the world looks at you, is this who they see? Do they see somebody who's humble and who's willing to serve? Or do they see pride and selfishness and all about me? Serving is at the heart of who we are in Christ. I hope we realize that. But that, that, that that should become a natural thing for us. Like you should want to go help the old lady open the door. You should, you should want to go get a grocery cart for somebody. You, you should want to help somebody tote stuff out to the car. You should, you should want to help somebody get the trash to the dump. You, you know, you know, you can see Jesus a lot at the dump right here. If you go through the woods about half a mile, maybe not even a half a mile, you can see, I'm telling you, you can see Jesus. I promise you, I'm not joking. I've sat at the back of that line before and watched somebody get out of their car and go help somebody at the front, right? And then I think, here's where I messed up. I let a little worldliness get in me. I think, oh, he's trying to do that so he can get his stuff and get out faster. 
Right? I know some of y'all was thinking the same thing, so I just wanted to be the one to confess it. Right? But then I watch him pull up, unload his car, and then go backing up the car behind him. That's the love of Jesus, man. That's serving. That's real life illustration. Right? You can see him right there. Now, how many of us will do that? How many of us will practice that? How many of us are doing that? Huh? We all say, oh, we should. But how many of us actually are? Right? I want, I want to throw out some list of who we're supposed to be serving. You're supposed to serve your family. You serve your family? Is it the first attitude you have with your family? Or do you come in and pop your feet up on the chair? Mom, what's for dinner? Baby, what you about to bring me? Woman, get in here with my drink. Huh? Or is it, you know, I think that's why our laundry, our laundry mat is by the door. That way, as soon as I walk in, I see, all right, laundry got to be done. Right? You know what I'm saying? Like, I just go ahead and get that mentality out of I'm coming in to be served. I'm coming in to serve. I'm going to throw a little laundry in, right? So, family, neighbors. How many of you help your neighbors during situations? How many of you serve your coworkers? How many of you serve your enemies? Hmm. Dang, Pastor, you pulled like a verse three right there. Like you was boom, 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 and then smack. You know what I'm saying? Like it was like a Paul moment right there, right? What about your frenemies? Y'all know what a frenemy is, right? You friends certain times and then behind closed doors. Yeah, yeah, all right. Make sure you're honest with yourself. What about other believers? What about other believers? You ever think about it that way? You notice how easy, and this is sad sometimes now, and Paul writes about this in one of his other letters. You know how easy sometimes it is for us to serve those on the outside, but then when somebody on the inside needs it, we neglect them? You know what Paul says about it, right? If you can't take care of your own first, hmm. he don't speak too highly of it. I can tell you that. Go back and check it out. Right? But but is that not something we do sometimes? And then we even try to sugarcoat it with good stuff. Well, you know, they got Jesus. They don't need no more. I just need to go help somebody else. No. No. You should be helping believers first. You should be building a relationship with them above everything else. You, you know the word for, for servanthood in Scripture? It also means not only render any kind of service, but it means to minister. To minister to. Man, that opens the door of all kinds of stuff, does it not? Because you can minister with chores, but then you can minister with education. You can you can you can have a prayer ministry, you can have a devotion ministry. That that changes everything, right? So many of you have taken time to grow other believers, to pray for the needs of other believers, right? How how do we do that? How how do we change our attitude? Look back at First Corinthians chapter sixteen, fifteen. You're talking about first fruits. I know that feast is not around the corner, but it works for this right here. Look, Look at this right here. Paul's writing. To the church of the Corinthians, by the way, they got in a lot of trouble. They weren't like the Philippians. All right? We may make it to their letter in six years. I don't know. But brothers and sisters. So he's talking to believers. That's the sad part in the beginning of the letter. You know the household of Stephen? They're the first fruits. They devoted themselves to serving the saints. I urge you also to submit to such people. Submit? Man, that's a word we don't like, right? To everyone who works and labors with them. I delighted to have these guys with me is what he says. He says, like, I, it, it, for, look, at, look at the last section right there, verse 18. For they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, recognize such people. What are such people? Well, if you go back to 15, 
When it reads this thing, it says they're the first fruits. They devoted themselves. That word devoted means they were addicted to serving. You ever seen a drug addict when he gets the itch? Maybe you've been one. I don't know. Right? I'm not serious. Ain't nothing wrong with that. You recovered. That's great. Awesome for you. You ever seen an alcoholic when they want to drink? In, in case you're thinking you holier now, you ever seen like somebody who just wants the newest car, newest phone, newest technology? I can throw you all out there, right? It ain't no big deal. Right? Somebody who, who, who missed some pleasure for a little while, they, they, they had that itch for pleasure. Well, you can use it. I don't care what your sin is. Paul, Paul's saying right here, because sometimes we get addicted to that, right? Paul's saying in this verse, he's saying these guys had that same itch for serving. For serving. Go, go to Acts. I don't think this one's on the screen, so you actually got to turn your Bible if you got it. Go to Acts chapter 4 real quick. Last example I'll give right here, but Acts 4 is too cool to... Too cool to miss. You can write that down. Acts 4, too cool to miss, right? Acts 4, go to 13. When they observed the boldness of Peter and John, here, here's, here's why I love it. Here's why I love it. When they observed the boldness of Peter and John, they realized these guys are uneducated. They're untrained. You think you got to be somebody to be somebody? They're writing about this is written down forever. They're writing down forever for everybody forever to get to read. And he's saying, these guys ain't even had no education. They weren't even trained to do what they're about to do. Sometimes you think you can't because you ain't got something. You don't need nothing but the Holy Spirit. And all the Holy Spirit needs is your willingness. Right? These guys were uneducated, untrained. They were amazed and recognized. <laughs> Why were they amazed? Why were they recognized? Because they done been with Jesus. I don't care how untrained and how uneducated you are. If you've been with Jesus, the world can recognize it. I mean, truly been with him now. I ain't talking about been to church either. I'm talking about been with Jesus. Had a moment. Right? Big difference. And since they saw the man who had been healed standing with him, they saw the miracle. Right? Everybody's there when there's a miracle. They had nothing to say. Can't say nothing. There's a miracle right beside them. After they ordered them to leave, <laughs> all right, well, we can't say nothing in the presence of the miracle, so we tell you to get out. That's what happens. Tells them to get out. They're in the presence of the Sanhedrin. They confirmed among themselves. Be careful what people say behind you about closed doors. You know what I'm saying? They couldn't say it in front of them, but they say it behind them. Be careful what people say behind you closed doors. 16, what should we do with these men? For an obvious sign has been done through them. There's been a real miracle. Clear to everyone living in Jerusalem. We can't even deny it. But so that this does not spread any further among the people, let's threaten them. You know the enemy will threaten you? Right? They're saying, like, we can't deny that they have the truth. We can't deny that they're doing the truth. But we can threaten them. Let's threaten them, right? The world's going to try to threaten you guys. Let's threaten them against speaking to anyone else in his name. So they called them in and they ordered them, do not teach, do not speak the name of Jesus. You know, there's going to come a time possibly in our world while we're still alive where a threat like this could come out. I mean, some of it's already been kind of started. You know what I'm saying? Certain areas, certain places, right? Threaten. No, don't you talk about Jesus. Don't you use the word prayer. Don't you bring a Bible up in here. Don't you quote scripture. Right? Don't you have this mentality. Don't you have this, this attitude. Right? Threaten them. What, now, now, I know these guys are threatening with life. I don't want you to think that's got to be your only threat. You might be threatened with like popularity. Oh, you ain't going to be cool if you act like that. Right? You're not going to be accepted if you act like that. 
You can't ride no big old Harley Davidson motorcycle and act like a Christian. You gotta act like a biker. You can't have a jacked up truck. Right? <laughs> I use that because I had lunch with a felt dinner with a fella Tuesday night. <laughs> he, he told me, he goes, you, you couldn't have this where I used to go to church. I said, you couldn't have what? He said, well, one, I'm sitting down with the pastor at Waffle House. I said, amen, brother. We don't mind what we eat. We just like to eat, right? And then he said, yeah, but pastor also got a motorcycle and a jacked up vehicle. <laughs> Tell me you can't have it. <laughs> Let me take my shirt off and show you the tattoos I got. <laughs> I'm just a heathen, you know what I'm saying? What I'm saying is this, though. The world's going to tell you what? Like, you can't be accepted if you live for Christ. Yeah, you can. Huh? I'll drive my jacked up truck and quote Bible verses while I drive down the road. I'll drive my motorcycle with the bags on it, the custom paint job, blaring Christian music and worshiping all day long. I got cruise control. I can raise both hands while I ride. Any, any of your brothers got cruise control on your motorcycles? I know there's a couple of you in the room that's got motorcycles, right? I can raise both hands while I'm worshiping. On the motorcycle, I just don't close my eyes. Don't let the world tell you you can't be cool because you follow Jesus. Right? And they threaten with this stuff. They threaten with fines. They threaten with, 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 with disagreements. They threaten where you can and can't go. They threaten with this stuff. So they called them in and they ordered them this kind of stuff. Don't you ever order a true following believer of the Lord not to follow the believer of the Lord. Verse 19, Peter and John answered him immediately. They ain't even debated it. That's what I love. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're not a true believer when you ain't, well, let me think about it. You know, thinking about it. Let me tell you right now what it's going to be. Whether it's right in the sight of God or in the sight of us, we'd rather listen to the Lord than listen to what you decide. Huh? What's he saying? Say, I don't care what you say. I care what the Lord says. I care what he commands. For what? We are unable. This is that addicted mentality right here. These guys was addicts, right? I'm telling you, they were, I promise you. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we've seen or heard. I didn't had a taste of it. You know what I'm saying? It's all right to be addicted, just get addicted to the right stuff, right? That's what he's saying. He goes, I, I didn't had a taste. I know what Jesus tastes like. I know what he can do. I know the feeling he gives me, and there ain't no crash at the end of it like that other stuff I used to taste, Right? He's saying, I've had it, but we're unable to stop speaking about what we've seen and what we've heard. After threatening them, it's one thing to talk it. You better walk it. After threatening them further, they released them. They found no way to punish them because all the people were on their side for the sign of healing that had been told. They released them and they went out and did it. They went out and walked through it. A couple chapters later, they get in trouble again and the brothers get in stone and they use this phrase again, talking about being addicted to the ministry. They use two phrases. They say, one, Bring in those guys that have flipped the world upside down. Now, that ought to be something the church is trying to do, right? This world needs to be flipped upside down and turned into some kingdom mentality. We're not building a kingdom if we're leaving the world the same, right? Or we're building the wrong kingdom. I guess we are building a kingdom, just not the kingdom, right? He said, these guys flipped the world upside down. And then when they're questioned about it, he said, he used the word again. We was addicted to the ministry. That's how we're supposed to be. Now, now the word they use, I use the word ministry here. The word they actually use is we were addicted to serving. Could you imagine what would Chris, could you imagine what would happen if you had people addicted to serving in here? Huh? 
Now, some of y'all do a real good job, so I don't want to take away from it. Because a couple weeks ago, my brother had to serve in the, in the back again. Head, that's why he ain't got no hair. He done served in the back so many times. The last strain of hair disappeared and ran away from him, right? He he had to go back there again. So a couple ladies got up. They noticed he'd been back there three or four weeks in a row. They got up, went and got him, said, no, you go back in there. We want to serve today. Could you ima- Could you even imagine if we had people fighting to serve? Oh, you ain't going to dump the trash can. I'm going to do What if we race to the trash cans after church? And not just to get there and tag it, by the way, but to dump it. Huh? What if we race? What if we saw who can dump these trash cans the first throughout the week? Yeah, some of y'all thought there was a magic fairy that came by and didn't do them trash cans, didn't you? Y'all was just, I seen it just now when I said it. A couple of y'all was thinking, y'all was like, hold on. That trash just don't disappear when it goes in the can? Some of y'all think food prepares itself on Wednesday night, don't you? Some of y'all think the toilets clean themselves. Some of y'all thought all them drinks in the, in the thing back there, like they just appeared. Walmart brought them. We didn't have to go to the store and get them. Walmart just brought them to us, right? The plates you eat off of, the napkins, y'all thought they just came. Y'all thought there was fairies all over. See, y'all didn't know there wasn't fairies in the real world. Huh? Yeah, y'all thought it was a magical thing that happened. Y'all thought the targets presented themselves. You thought they just floated up there onto the page. You thought the shotgun shells just came because we, well, they kind of did come because we asked things, Cody. Uh, see, you leave, you don't get your recognition. See him online, right? <laughs> Think about it, though. What if we had the mentality of being addicted to serving? What, what, what if we didn't need the end of the year to start sharing the love of Christ because we shared the love of Christ all year long? What if Beth had to come in November and say, don't bring me no more cards for the ladies at Doors to Freedom. They done got so much stuff for the last 11 months, they don't need no more. Don't wow it, make it happen. Right? Could you imagine that? Could you imagine if if our brothers on the mission field and other areas, they said, stop sending people. We ain't got no room for them to serve no more. I I bet if we was to sign up for a a, uh, ski trip, and then sign up for a mission trip. Let's see which one fills up first. Huh? I hear people all that. Man, I miss when you used to plan them ski trips. When we going on another one? As soon as y'all get a mission trip going that y'all not excited for. Right? Think about it. These guys was addicted to the ministry, man. That was their attitude. That of Christ. Now, understand this. I don't, I don't want to neglect this either. Serving is a choice. And he shares this with Christ. This, this is why... He now flips in and and begins to use Jesus as the greatest example of these things. Right. Why? You you do. Please understand this. You realize God was fully God when he came to earth. Right. Because there's a lot of miss. There's a lot of bad. I'm going to be honest. I kind of not to spoil anybody's little thing because I'm y'all okay with growing as you learn. I'm being dead serious. Like you you don't think you got it all right now forever, do you? Because if so, you need to go to the altar. You need to ask the Lord to change you. I'm being serious. I'm okay growing every year. I've had a different understanding of the holidays every year for the last six years. I'm about sick of having a different understanding of them every year, to be honest with you. But I'm growing every year. I'm being serious. This year, I come to the assumption like, I'm afraid that this is just me. I'm not telling you to believe this. This is this is one of the more weirder versions you're going to get out of anybody, okay? I'm just being honest with you. I'm okay with the tradition of Christmas and all that stuff. That's great. But I'm now getting afraid of mixing it with the birth of Christ. Some of y'all, you're like, oh, my God, I didn't say you couldn't have a Christmas tree. I didn't say you couldn't buy me a present. Okay, (laughs) that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is, though, is making sure our babies understand the right things. 
I'm not going to tell my kid, hey, Jesus was born on December 25th. He can't be born. He always existed. Amen. Does that make sense? Or does that just blow your mind? You're like, holy cow, what do you mean? You can tell him he came to earth. He made him a trip down here. But don't you dare try to tell him he got a birthday. He can't have a birthday. Do you understand? Some of y'all like, y'all like, you fired him. Like, we're gonna have him, we're gonna have a business meeting right in the church today. Honestly, though, think about this. How can he be the fullness of God and yet have a birthday? Some of you can't speak because you're like, holy cow, I ain't never thought about it that way, right? Now, you can understand this is how he came. I mean, there's, there's a great story in the Bible. Don't get me wrong about his coming. But I get a little, I get a little scared of thinking about calling it, calling it that kind of stuff because I don't want to teach my kids the wrong way. Right? This can't be his birthday. He's fully God. Right? You're not going to amen me, so I'm just going to keep on with it, right? Maybe it was for me. I'm okay with growing on my own. You can grow at your pace. I grow at my pace. That's, I'm being serious. That's fine. That's okay. We should be doing that kind of thing. But it just hit me this week. and I'm like, man, I don't want to take away from the fullness of God because then I took away his choice. It's like daddy stripped him of his stuff and sent him down kind of attitude, right? No, he's still the fullness of God. He decided to come to earth. What did it say? He emptied himself. Right? Isn't that what Paul said? Go back. I don't know what verse we're even at right now, to be honest with you. It don't matter. You got your Bible. I'm not even in the right book. I'm in Acts still. You should have your Bibles open in Philippians chapter 2, right? What, what Paul goes this today, what did it say? He emptied himself. That does that mean he took away his God? No, he is fully God. Why? Because look, look at what it says. This is kind of important for real. Who existing in the form of God. Maybe there is a little theology here, right? He existing in the form of God. He's still God. Right? You can't change that. You can change his outside. You can change what he does. You can change how he does it. You can change his feelings. You can change his emotions. But you can't change that he's in the form of God. Right? That's, that's vital, guys. Because here's why it's vital, in case you, in case you still ain't with me. Because if you think he lowered his deity, I don't know how he, to be partial deity is not deity. We agree with that? Like, there ain't no demigods up in here. And I'm being serious, right? Jesus is not a demigod. I've heard that preached. Which, good Ray, you don't want to get me on that one. Right? But anyway, if he's not fully God when he came to earth, not born, came to, right? Call him an alien if you want to. I'm fine with that. I'm serious. I really don't mind that at all. He's left his land to come to our land, right? Then when he went to the cross, he's not fully God. And if he went to the cross and he wasn't fully God, what does that say for your sins? Yeah, they dang sure ain't forgiven because ain't no man can die for my sins. Now you understand why it's so important to get this right? I didn't think there was some theology, but there's a little theology we can't miss. Right? He can't be part God and go to the cross and die for part of my sins. Well, that is all he would die for if he was part God, I guess, right? No, he's got to be fully God if he went to the cross and died for my sins. No other sacrifice would be worthy. All right? We good on that? If not, study it more and get it more. I promise you, it's good stuff. It really is. Verse 5. Let this mind be in you. It is too easy for us to read this description of Jesus, by the way. And here's what I want to make sure we don't do. And I think Paul wanted to make sure his people in Philippi didn't do it either. We read this and we stand and we admire it from a distance. Oh, you see what Jesus did? You see the coolness of what, what he's doing? No. What does Paul say? Let this mind be in you. I want you to enter into it. I want you to imitate it. I want it to be a choice that you got and you grab a hold of it. You run with it. The choice is what? If I'm going to be like Christ, I'm going to be humble and I'm going to serve. 
You realize if you did them two things, you, everything else be taken care of. Right? First Corinthians chapter two, verse 16. It says that we have a mind of Christ. Right? We have the mind of Christ. So let this mind show, right? We choose to walk this way. Now, now here you got to think back. Jesus, did Jesus know his disciples were going to desert him in a little while? Did, did he know Peter was going to deny him three times? Did, did he know Judas had already betrayed him? And he still washed their feet. That's servant mentality. Could you imagine that? You imagine letting the dude who just who just turned you over to the other side kiss you on the cheek? Huh? And then tell Peter to put his sword up? I just said, get your sword out. Which I just want to point out, the disciples was toting swords. That's pretty darn cool right there. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like a lot of y'all be wanting to talk about, like, you what guy, guy in here? Yeah, a lot of guys won't be talking about not having no guns out there now. That's pretty cool. The disciples was toting swords. That tells me I can keep coating my Glock, right? <laughs> I don't even have a Glock. I got a Smith and Wesson and an XD and a couple others. Anyway, <laughs> he's more. And here's why. Here's why this is so important. Jesus was more concerned about the spiritual needs of the twelve than his own. He's not going to let his own needs be neglected, stop him from worrying about the needs of others. And here's my fear: sometimes we we feel sometimes we can't attend to the needs of others because we're overwhelmed with our own problems. You ask somebody to serve. Hey, can you? No, man, you don't understand what I got going on. I'm so busy. I just ain't got time. Ain't no way I can do it. Right. Yeah, I'm overwhelmed with my own stuff. Christians attitudes towards servanthood has got to be shaped by conviction and not circumstances. You get convicted by the Holy Spirit, not your circumstances. Right. Maybe you could say it this way. We talk about that emptying of himself, even though he didn't envy himself the same way. When I'm so full of myself, there's no room for the Holy Spirit to manifest himself through my life. So therefore, I got to empty myself to make room. That makes sense. You understand that? Some of y'all so full of your own stuff. You ain't got it. It's got, here's what you call it. You call it basin theology. Water basins, by the way, is what I'm talking about. So you got one over here. And you got one over here. Right. This is basin theology right here. This is how you sum up if you got servant mentality or not. Matthew. Hold on. I need my note. Sorry. Matthew chapter 27. You study Matthew chapter 27. You get your first basin in the New Testament. There's two basins in the New Testament. Two water jugs, whatever you want to call them. All right. First one, Matthew 27. You got Pilate. Y'all remember Pilate? Y'all know who I'm talking about? People came to Pilate. They told him about Jesus. This guy is messing stuff up. He ain't doing it right. We don't like him. Y'all to hang him or crucify him, I guess is what they was doing, right? So Pilate says, well, let me check it out. So he brings Jesus in and talks to him. Can you imagine that conversation, by the way? Huh? Somewhere we don't get the whole conversation. But somewhere along the conversation, Pilate comes up with the terms. I can't do nothing with this guy. Right? So, so what does he do? He, he walks back outside and the people are trying to kill him, right? Solve this problem. Here's what he does. He goes over to a basin. I'm going to try not to spill too much on the Lord's carpet. That would be wrong. And he, he washes his hands of it. You remember what he says? He says, I wash my hands of it. That was a trick question. Right? He's saying, I'm washing. What is he saying? He goes, you know, you thought it was my responsibility. And maybe it was my responsibility. But I'm going to pass the responsibility on to somebody else. Part of y'all's theology, you just want to pass responsibility on to somebody else. Somebody else handle it. Somebody else dump trash. Somebody else to clean it. Somebody else to bring food. Somebody else to preach. Somebody to sing. Somebody else mentality, right? 
Now you go to John chapter 17 and, and, and a lot of other places in the gospel as well. And you get this other water basin and you get Jesus. And he just finished the Lord's Supper with his disciples. I just now asked you about it. Right. He knows because he's, he's still fully God. He knows they're all going to deny him. He, he, he knows Peter is about to deny him three times specifically. He knows Judas is already on the way to betraying him. Right. Everything's already set up. Second water basin. How many of y'all, how many of y'all be weirded out if I ask somebody to wash your feet? You wouldn't be weirded out by it? It ain't warm water. My wife got it out the cold side. Right? It's kind of weird, isn't it? I mean, be honest, would that not be weird? Let me find somebody I don't even really, I don't know you. You move in here, but I don't know you. Would it be weird if I wash your feet? Yeah? What if I put you up on stage right here? Take off whatever shoes and socks you wear and let everybody see your little toes, right? Oh, they're, oh, well. She got fancy toes, right? Wouldn't that be weird? Now, here's the first thing you understand. For, for these guys, for these guys, washing feet wasn't really weird. Servants did that. They trapped, they had, they ain't had no Nikes. They had flip flops. So everywhere they went, their feet was dirty. So the first thing they did when they got to the house, servant do what? Well, wash your feet. What would be weird is if the rabbi is doing it. What would be weird is if the leader's doing it. What would be weird is if the master's doing it. What would be weird is if the guy who just had the supper with you got up from the table left and come back with a towel and a water basin and said, you guys, let me wash your feet. It would be so weird. You know, Peter's like me. Mom always told me to be quiet in school. That ain't no lie. Right, I'm telling you right now, that ain't no lie. She, she'd get that warning a hundred times. Because I was a Peter, I'd open my mouth when I shouldn't. Peter opened his mouth and said, you ain't gonna wash my feet, Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Like you, and then Peter meant good of it, don't get me wrong now, okay? His mentality, at least from a worldly sense, right? Like, I'm not worthy to have my feet washed by you. I'd be embarrassed by it. My fingernails ain't painted. My toenails ain't painted yet, right? That's what I'm going to do. And what does Jesus tell him? Go to, go to our finger verse in John. Try not to go back on stage and grab them notes. Maybe keep going. Just click next. It'll be up there somewhere. Maybe it ain't John. I don't care. Well, go ahead. Next verse. Let's just see what it is. There's nothing next. My wife didn't read the back of the note card. I told her, I said, I got the front of the note card and in the back of the note card. Right. She ain't read the back of it. So you don't get it. Let me go back to my notes. Oh, it was gay. Oh, man. Hey, hold on. I need to correct something anyway. We in John 13 right now, not John 17. <laughs> See, it was, it was God's divine appointment for me to come back up here, right? John 13 is where this is taking place. Peter, John 13, verse 8 says, unless, or Jesus tells Peter, John 13, 8, unless I wash your feet, you got no part in me. So now Peter's intrigued. Now Peter's got to come with a decision that I come with every year. I got to learn and grow more. I got to figure this thing out. I thought I had it figured out. I don't have it figured out. I got to learn more. I got to be willing to grow. Because here's what he says just a couple verses later, 13, 15. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. You got a guy who in all honesty, it's probably his responsibility. Yet he washes his hands of it to get rid of responsibility. Too many people in the church want to wash their hands of responsibility and get away from doing stuff. Let somebody else handle it. Let somebody else do it, right? A Jesus mentality, you, you pour it, right? And you go wash somebody else's feet. 
I know them black shoes is hard to keep clean, right? I got you. I got you. Right. A little dusty right there. Now, the difference, the biggest difference is this, guys. This guy, it was his responsibility and he chose not to. This guy, Jesus, it was not his responsibility. Of all people, he should not have been washing feet. Yet, he took on responsibility that wasn't his to serve others. And then he tells Peter, hey, look how fast you is going. Y'all give Katie Beth a round of applause. Right? You got good people you're praising, right? Then he tells them, Fry, I've given you an example. This is the example. I want you guys to get this. Like, I, I did this. I did this for an example for you that you should do as I have done for you. Now, if we're not doing for one another as we should be doing for one another, how can we expect the people in here to leave here and go outside and do that to the world? That's the biggest difference, guys. Right? Huh? Man. Jesus was looking for it. How many people, you know how scary it'd be if we started looking for opportunities to serve? He realized, he goes, man, I'm a poor old carpenter. I didn't have no servants sitting at the door to wash y'all's feet when y'all got here. I'm going to go and I'm going to come back in and wash y'all's feet myself. He's looking for opportunity to serve. Man, it'd be scary if people in the church started looking for responsibility to serve. And stuff just magically started getting done. Right? It'd be crazy, man. It'd be crazy. Are you? Because you're supposed to be. Don't amen it. Just agree with it. Right? You're supposed to be. You're supposed to be looking for opportunity. You're supposed to be addicted to the, you're supposed to have a dignity mentality to servanthood. What can I do for somebody else? Jesus takes it even further, man. There's a couple stuff in the middle there that we, we, we skimmed over. Jesus takes it further. Verse eight. He says, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. Not only did he lower himself to become a human, come, come to earth, huh? But, but he didn't even come as a rich guy. He didn't even come as a king. He came as a, as a carpenter. To a, to a family that didn't even really have a, a house at the time. To, 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 to be on the run. Because at that time there was this king trying to kill babies. Right? Man, that ain't, that ain't the way I depict it. Servant mentality, humble mentality. You realize when, when Paul says this, this is what's really neat, man. You talk about talking to your audience. When Paul said this, this would have like sucker punched the Philippians. Because seriously, think about history here. I don't know if you guys know this. Crucifixion could not happen to a Roman citizen. A Roman citizen could not be. That's how bad of a punishment it was. You know where Philippi is? Just pretend you know if you don't, right? They in Rome, which makes them Roman citizens, which means Paul's saying Jesus came to die in a way you guys can't even die because you think of it so badly. Oh, what? Right? Gut punch. Huh? Verse three, Paul dropped the mic again. Even death on a cross. Now, what also Paul's doing here is really neat. Paul's a genius, right? His three years up in there got him right, right? He, he's also writing to tell them, guys, I know you've been thinking less because he just talked about it in chapter one. I know you've been thinking less of me now that I'm in prison and, and the walls didn't shake and chains didn't fall off. I, he says, let me just make sure you understand, like I'm in prison and Jesus is on a cross. Like God ain't just in to the delivering power and exaltation and the deliverance terms. God's into the humble terms as well. And God can take them humble terms and enduring terms and he can get his stuff done, right? Even as Jesus, through humility, got it done. I'm in prison. It's okay. I'll stay humble and get it done. It's good stuff he's doing. He's tying everything together. Other, other than that one little thing, maybe about making sure we understood that God is God, not, not deep theological education. He's writing to the Philippians and he's giving them real life application. 
He's saying, listen, guys, what I'm giving you is to equip you to endure the experiences you're going through. What what I'm writing you is to help you understand the hardships I'm in and the hardships you may get in. What what I'm giving you is, is to help you practice real Christian unity when times get rough here in a minute. And they're going to get rough. If we're believers in Christ, then we should reflect it as characteristics of Christ in our daily lives. And if we're not reflecting it, then maybe we're telling the world we're not. Right? These, these are goals for us as we work. You know, there's a verse coming up that's going to say, work out your salvation. These are goals as you're working out your salvation. And no, I ain't talking about no gym. And no, I ain't talking about getting more saved or less saved. Working out your salvation is a whole different kind of thing. That's what's coming up. This is what we pattern our, ourselves after. This is what we get through, right? So, so ask yourself those two words. Two emphasis Paul made. Humility. Here's some questions for you. Are you a humble person who thinks of others before yourself? Do you look to the interest of others and, and seek them and their love out? Have you done something lately that was completely selfless? You're not happy with the answer to those. Maybe today's the day you kind of change that, right? Maybe you just change it at your house. Some of your spouses would amen that right there, right? Serving others. Second thing he said, serving others. Do you look for ways to serve people? Do you look for ways to put others before yourself? Paul's saying this ain't natural, but it comes as we yield our way to his life. This is how we walk out our faith. This is how we make room. Again, there's, there, if I'm too full of myself, there's no room for the Holy Spirit to come in and manifest itself through me. This is how I empty myself to make room for him. And, and what's even really cool, go to 9 through 11. I'm not going to do verse by verse on them, so hold your little hands in your lap. I was going to say something else, but I shouldn't. Right? For this, I'm being nice. should get a reward for that. <laughs> That's humble mentality. <laughs> for this reason, look at what he says. Paul writing, for this reason, God highly exalted him. God gave him a name that's above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow on heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here's what's cool. Paul saying, if the Father did this with the Son, then he's going to do it with you. So if you're humble and you're serving like Jesus... Then the father is going to lift you up. You don't have to lift yourself up. Right. Look at how he ties it all. It's just so beautiful. Right. It's so awesome how he does it. If. Why does he keep getting on this? Because it's so easy for us to forget about loving other people. It's easy. It's easy to slip back into putting myself first. It's it's easy to, to forget about what I'm supposed to be doing. Maybe we should ask ourselves, am I doing enough that emulates the love of Christ to the world around us watching? Or do they still wonder about what's going on? You know that, that Mr. Templeton guy? It, it doesn't ever tell us. It doesn't ever tell us what it ended up doing there at the end with his, his walk with Christ. But could you imagine being at a stage where you knew the Lord? Where you'd even checked out the Lord. Maybe he didn't really know. Maybe he was just checking him out the whole time. And get to a stage where you realize you miss him and not do nothing about it. Some of the stuff you hear and you're like, man, I I don't know if I've been letting Christ. What if Christ is looking and saying, man, I miss you. Man, I miss you serving. I miss you doing what you're supposed to do. I I miss you stepping up. I'm kind of tired of the church people looking for ways to get out of responsibility when I've commanded them to look for ways of responsibility. Which water basin are you going to use? What are you going to do with your walk? 
You know what's even cooler is that Paul does this thing. I said it's, it's written for believers. Man, there's even that little bit in there that's written for unbelievers. Because what? He's summing up the gospel, isn't he? He said, look, even if you're an unbeliever, let me go ahead and throw it out there for you while you're in the church and tell you Jesus left his heaven, come down to earth, died on the cross for you, and then the Father raised him back up. And if you'll get a hold of that and start living your life like it, let me tell you what can happen. Huh? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for our time this morning. We thank you for this letter, this section of it. Father God, I pray that you help us with our knowledge, our understanding. Lord, give us a passion for the thing. Give us a mindset, Lord God. As Paul writes about, give us a mindset that's a mindset for the things that you think about, you care about. God, make us hungry for serving the way you served. God, forgive us for where we've we've looked for ways to get out of responsibility. Forgive us, Lord, for for where we've we've tried to to let ourselves be number one instead of you being number one. God, use us in such a mighty way that, Lord, when when the world sees us, they see you working through us. And you get the glory and not us. Lord, help us where we struggle. Strengthen us where we weak. Lord, just make us servants that you can be proud of. May we bring you joy like Paul talks about the Philippians bringing him joy. Your great and holy name we pray. Amen.